On August the 14th, 1989, Time magazine reported the sad story of a man from East Detroit. And this man literally died of fear. See, this man had taken a number of fur uh, trapping expeditions over the years and had been bitten by his share of ticks. Then one day, this man heard about Lyme disease. And of course, Lyme disease is carried by deer ticks. And he became obsessed with fear that he'd been bitten by a tick and had contracted Lyme disease. And he was also fearful that he had passed this disease on to his wife. Now, he went to the doctors and doctors tested him and assured him that he didn't have Lyme disease. And that even if he did have Lyme disease, it was virtually impossible to transmit Lyme disease to his wife. But this man did not believe the doctors. In fact, he became paranoid. He became so paranoid because of this disease, he ended up killing his wife and then killing himself. The police found the man's mailbox. And when they went through the man's mailbox, they found it was jammed full of material describing Lyme disease. They also found another slip from a doctor confirming a an appointment to have another Lyme disease test. You see, beloved, fear can distort a person's sense of reality. Uh, Fear can consume a person's energy and thoughts. In fact, fear can become absolutely controlling in a person's life. It was fear that cost this man and his wife their life. Even a false fear. But it was fear nonetheless. Our world is filled with people who are filled with fear. Did you know that? The USA Weekend Magazine, you often find that in your newspaper. Uh, They once ran a cover story entitled Fear, What Americans Are Afraid Of Today. And they conducted a scientific poll. And the magazine uncovered the things that Americans are most afraid of. It said 54% are afraid or very afraid of being in a car crash. 53% are afraid or very afraid of having cancer. Uh, 50% are afraid or very afraid of inadequate social security. 49% are afraid or very afraid of not having enough money for retirement. 36% are afraid or very afraid of food poisoning from meat. 35% are afraid or very afraid of getting Alzheimer's. 34% are afraid or very afraid of pesticides on food. 33% are afraid or very afraid of being a victim of individual violence. 32% are afraid or very afraid of being unable to pay their current debts. 30% are afraid or very afraid of exposure to foreign viruses. 28% are afraid or very afraid of of getting AIDS. And 25% are afraid or very afraid of natural disasters. Other findings from the same study, we, we, we discovered that four in ten people, four in ten people feel unsafe taking a walk alone at night within a half mile of home. It said one in four women believes that she has been followed by a stranger in the past year. And and believe it or not, one in five people that they polled are afraid. They they fear being caught in a bombing 
in a public place. Here's the interesting thing about it, though. Get this. That article appeared in August of 1997, long before we had 9-11, long before we saw the Twin Towers towering, coming down. Long before all that happened. So one can only imagine what people would respond today. Our world is filled with people who are filled with fear. It's safe to say people are afraid. People are living in fear. And perhaps this morning, if you are honest with yourself, honest with God and honest with, uh, with others, you'd have to say, you know what? I'm one of those people. I'm afraid. I live my life in fear. If that is you, beloved, I have wonderful news for you. You don't have to live there anymore. You don't have to live in fear anymore. Today, we're going to unwrap another gift from our shepherd. We've been unwrapping gifts since Thanksgiving time. Here from Psalm 23, from our loving shepherd. And gift after gift we find. And today in Psalm 23, we come to the fourth verse. And the fourth verse is a very well-known verse. In Psalm 23, 4, you probably know it by heart, says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We find as we look into this particular gift box, Psalm 23, 4, we find the gift of courage. The gift of courage. Now, don't understand. Don't misunderstand me today. This is not self-centered courage we're talking about. Uh, This is not self-sufficient courage we're talking about. This is a shepherd-centered courage. A shepherd-centered courage. And, beloved, you need it. And I need it. Why? Because of the dark valleys. Because of the valley of the shadow of death. You know, we often think of this verse, Psalm 23, 4, only around our death. We often read Psalm 23 at a funeral. Very fitting words. We've mentioned already that Psalm 23 is not just for death. It's not just for dying. It's for now. It's for living. And as we think about Psalm 23, 4, and we think about our lives today, we find it's very applicable. Why? Because we pass through many dark valleys. David Roper said the valleys bring to mind when the employer says to you, clean out your desk. When a doctor said your baby will not be normal. When you found that stash in your son's closet. When your teenage daughter told you she was pregnant. When the doctor said you had cancer. When your spouse said he or she has no energy left to put into the relationship. He said the phrase shadow of death. Is one word in the Hebrew, and it means deep darkness. It's a dreary word used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the impenetrable darkness before creation in Amos 5.8. The thick darkness of a mine shaft in Job 28.3. And the black hole that is the abode of the dead in the book of Job. It's a word associated with anxiety and unfocused dread. Those dark valleys, those dark times. Now, when you think about that, that's not the kind of party invitation you want, is it? You know, come come to a dark valley. We want to avoid those dark valleys. We'd rather take the lift up the mountain. Thank you very much. We don't want to go down into the valley. We forget what someone is called. We forget our ABCs, the ABCs of spiritual growth. You know what they are? The ABCs of spiritual growth. Someone says, here's what it is. The ABCs adversity builds character. 
Adversity builds character. You see, we've talked about the still waters and the green pastures, and God leads us there and uses those. But God not only uses those, He uses the dark valleys to mold us and to shape us to be more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are lessons that you will learn in the dark valleys that you will learn nowhere else. There are lessons to be learned there. Perhaps you're in a dark valley today. Perhaps you're just coming out of a dark valley. Perhaps, unbeknownst to you, you're getting ready to go into a dark valley. Rick Warren has some interesting things to say about dark valleys. He said five things in particular. He said, dark valleys, the valleys are inevitable. You will have them. They're inevitable. You will have them. You say, well, I haven't had any yet. You will. They're inevitable. He said, secondly, they're unpredictable. You don't know when they're coming. You really can't plan for them. You really can't prepare at times for them. They're unpredictable. He said, thirdly, they're impartial. That is, no one gets a free pass. We all have them. We all struggle with things in our life. We all are in those dark valleys at times. The fourth thing he mentioned was wonderful, though, and that is they're temporary. We go through them. Even if it's the dark valley of the shadow of death and we literally die, even that for the child of God has a glorious morning awaiting, doesn't it? As to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Yea, though I walk through Yea, though I walk through, I don't stay there. They're temporary. And then fifth, they're purposeful. They're purposeful. That is, there's a reason behind them. God will use them. God will mature us. God will grow us. God has a purpose in the dark valleys. Now, as a follower of Christ, as a child of God, we can listen to a list like that and say, Amen! He's right! That's right. I believe that. I stand on that. But then at the same time, we can say amen. We can leave today and go out and be filled with dread and worry and fear. We just said amen. We just said that's right. God has a purpose and these are temporary and and, and he's going to be with us. And we know that all of us have these things and we can trust him. But then we go out filled with worry and dread and fear. Why is that? I think old Vance Havner hit the nail on the head when he said he that is God. God was here before there was any fear, and he'll be here when all fear is passed away. Let us remember that he saw everything before there was anything. If we could stand at his side today and see as he sees, how baseless would be our fears and how excuseless our tears. But listen, here's what Vance Havner said. But we cannot see as he sees, nor can we see what he sees. Our vision of the future does not extend past our faces so far as certainty is concerned. We live in the mixed and muddled present. You see, God sees the end from the beginning. God looks down and sees all the pieces of a puzzle of our life and sees where they fit. But we only see it one at a time. We're in the mixed and muddled present. So the question is, how do we have courage to live in the mixed and muddled present where we are this very moment? With danger and fear all around us. With such uncertainty. How do we live with courage? 
How do we have a Christ-centered, shepherd-centered courage? Well, look at today's gift again, Psalm 23, 4. Notice it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice this. I will fear no evil. None. No evil. Now, how could David say this? How could it be that we honestly could say, I will fear no evil? Well, I think this verse teaches us we can say that because of two primary things. Number one. Are you ready? You want courage? We can have courage because of his presence. Because of his presence. Notice what it says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now watch this next part. For thou art with me. His presence. Did you notice that David, he changes here how he speaks? Up to this point, he's talked about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Up to this point, he's talked about the shepherd. At verse 4, he starts talking to the shepherd. Did you notice that? He starts talking to the shepherd. Thou art with me. Lord, you're with me. We remind you again, beloved, this is for the Lord's sheep. You've got to be in his flock to enjoy these gifts. If you don't know Christ as your own Lord and Savior, come today. Come in repentance and faith and trust him and take him as your Savior and your Lord. If you are his child, if you're one of his sheep, you don't have to walk around in fear. You don't have to walk around worried and dreading. Why? Because he's with you. Because of his presence. We've been talking about presence with a T. We're talking about presence here. His presence. Listen to Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be, with, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, listen, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Listen to Matthew 28, the Lord Jesus there, 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, listen, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you till the end of the age. Listen to Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but lo, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We should never fear, child of God. Why? We need not fear. Jesus is near. Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. Our shepherd is there with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because he's holding my hand. Thou art with me. His presence. His presence, it cheers and comforts us. You see, our courage, beloved, is not in ourselves. It's in our shepherd. It's in our Savior. It's not in what we have or what we can do. It's in him. Remember, we told you before that sheep are defenseless. They don't have sharp fangs and all that stuff. They're defenseless. They're totally dependent upon their shepherd. What a fitting picture for us as believers. And this dark and dangerous world in which we live. Now, this means that while you might be today in the middle, smack dab middle of a dark valley, child of God, you're not there alone. He's there with you. The almighty, all powerful sovereign of the universe is watching over you. He's there with you. So I say today, take heart. Be strong and courageous. Stand courageous in Christ and his strength. He's with you. You can talk to him. You can talk to him. You can tell him about your fears and your frustrations and what you're going through. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's there with you. You can listen to him. Pick up your Bible and read the precious promises in God's word and claim them. Commune with him. Fellowship with him. Don't let that valley destroy you. Allow him to grow you in that. Allow him to mature you in that. Allow him to grow your relationship with him. We can have courage today, beloved, because of his presence. But the second reason we can have courage We can have courage because of his protection. We can have courage because of his protection. Look again at Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Now notice the next part. That's his presence. Now notice his protection. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Here's the awesome thing, beloved. His presence with you is not just there. He's not just there to fellowship with you, as wonderful as that is. He's there to protect you. Two pieces of the shepherd's equipment are mentioned here. The rod and the staff. Very quickly, let's talk about what those pieces were for. Stuart Briscoe said the shepherd's equipment was unsophisticated. Just a rod and a staff. But they were all he needed. They were applied with two things in mind. Protection and correction. When marauding animals came along, the shepherd would whack them with the rod. When the wandering sheep fell over the cliff, the staff would pick them back to safety. When they needed a poke, they would get it from the rod or staff. He said, all this poking and prodding and whacking doesn't sound too appealing, does it? But to the sheep it is. It's a joy to know that you're protected and will be corrected. So he uses that rod, might throw it at a marauding animal or beat him in the head with it or whatever. He used that staff to lift up a fallen sheep or use it to guide along. 
There's safety and security in being in our wise, loving shepherd's care. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't leave us to our enemies. He lovingly shepherds us and protects us and corrects us. His presence is very real in our lives. We can have courage today because of his presence. Thou art with me and his protection. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now listen, the valley may be long and it may be dark and it may be hard, but he's with us. And I got to thinking about this, David, the one whom the Holy Spirit used to pen Psalm 23, knew what it was to be in dark valleys. I personally believe he wrote this psalm later in life, looking back over the Lord's care and protection. And looking back, he was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want in these wonderful verses. And we can talk about several dark valleys in David's life, but one came to mind as I was studying this. It's a dark valley he faced as a young man. I would ask if you would to turn to 1 Samuel 17. Turn back to 1 Samuel 17. And it's the story of David and Goliath. A well-known story. Most of us, if we grew up in church, we knew this story from a child. This is one of those ones you love to, to hear and to read about. And you love to see the pictures of this giant Goliath and this little shepherd boy, David, going out with his sling. And, and it's an awesome story. It's a true story. But we know in 1 Samuel 17, Goliath is there and he's taunting the army of Israel. Um, and we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse uh, 25, 1 Samuel uh, 17, uh, beginning at verse 25, you know that uh, he's been sent to the front lines. He, he's heard what's going on there. And 1 Samuel 17, 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. will give him his daughter and give him his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Man, that's quite a deal, isn't it? Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? No. Did you say that again? Uh, let me make sure I got that right. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, it wasn't just the army of Israel. He was defying God. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He didn't get any encouragement from his older brother. Can you imagine that? His older brother just had discouragement and just tore into him. David says in verse 29, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And get this in your mind's eye. Here's this shepherd, David, going to fight this mighty man of valor and this warrior and this giant. Saul said to David, verse 33, 
You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He has experience on his side, David. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. (laughs) And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. David was no wimp. Don't get in your mind he's out of the heart singing psalms of the little sissy. Have you caught any lions or bears and killed them lately? He's a man. Young man, but a strong man. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as defy the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, now notice this, this is why he was able to do what he did. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. You see, David's trust, even from a young man, to the Lord whether it be fighting a lion or a bear or a giant. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put on a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I've not tested them. So David took them off. You know, Saul was trying to give him every advantage in the world. He put him in armor and all. And David said, I can't use this. I can't even walk. Here's what I'm going to do. Look at verse 40 or verse 39. No, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, his false gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. How's that for a greeting? Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All about the Lord. All about his strength, all about his protection, all about his power, all about his person. Not David, but David's God. Verse 48. So it was the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted, pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron. 
And the wounded of the Philistines fell among the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron and so on. I would dare say that David walked that day into what we might call a valley of the shadow of death. No doubt about it. Goliath didn't want to win friends and influence people that afternoon. He wanted to hack David to pieces and feed him to the birds. But you notice that every time David speaks, he says, the Lord. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear. The Lord will deliver me to the Philistines. The battle is the Lord's, beloved. When are we going to learn that? We have courage not in ourselves. We have courage in the Lord. Now, I don't know what battle you're walking through this morning. But Christian, I know who's walking in it with you. Will you choose fear or will you choose courage? Will you choose fear or will you choose faith? Will you choose fear or trust? Businessman Ken Hansen went to visit a hospitalized employee. And the patient was there and he was lying very still. And his eyes were conveying anguish as he was there. His operation had taken eight hours. And the recovery was long and uncertain. Alex said Ken quietly, you know, I've had a number of serious operations and I know the pain of trying to talk. But I I think I know the questions you're asking. And there are two verses I want to give to you. Hanson took his Bible and he turned to these passages and he read each one of those verses and then he prayed and he left. Well, the young man, Alex Balk, took the message to heart and thankfully made a complete and total recovery. But you might be interested to know what those two verses were. One was Genesis forty-two thirty-six. You know, the story of Joseph, we studied that here, a great story. But Jacob, in Genesis forty-two thirty-six, and Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me, Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. All these things are against me. The second verse that Ken read that day was one that you probably already know. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God. To his purpose. Now I ask you Christian. Which verse are you going to choose? In that dark valley. In these dark days. That you may be facing this very moment. Or you may soon face. Which verse are you going to take? All these things are against me. We know of course. The end of the story. Jacob didn't realize. They weren't against him. They were for him. But all these things are against me. Are you going to say this Christian. All these things are for me. I know that God loves me and God's working and molding and putting the pieces of the puzzle of my life together to make me like his son, the Lord Jesus. Christian, you have his presence. You have his protection. Take courage in him. 
claim Romans 8.28 in that dark valley and walk with him. He's there. He loves you. He holds your hand and holds you in his hand. Let's pray. Father, I love you today. And I thank you that we're not alone. Thou art with us. Your presence and protection are real. Lord, so are the dangers and the dark valleys. We need you, O God. We need you. Help us to grow in our faith and mature. And realizing these things are not against us, they're for us. While we don't understand it all the time, we trust in your loving direction, protection, and correction. Father, I believe there are those here today that are in some dark valleys. Lord, I pray, first of all, if they don't know you as Savior, they'll come to know Christ this very moment. And then, Lord, when that is settled, I pray they'll claim Romans 8, 28, not live where Jacob lived, but live a life of faith to go forth like David against Goliath, saying the battle is the Lord's. I trust in him. He will deliver. Grant your grace and your mercy in this invitation. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.